Welcome back to EAF 489, Social Justice and Social Theory. Uh, as ever, I am your host and professor, Dr. Gavin Weiser. Uh, and this week, uh, we are attempting to decolonize the academy. Um, and so we are reading a few different things. First up, uh, we are reading Decolonization is Not a Metaphor from 2012 by uh, Eve Tuck and Wayne Yang. We're following it up with a piece uh, from 2020, A Tribal Crit Sensibility Toward Critical Consciousness Legal Literacy, Engaging ACPA's Framework for Racial Justice and Decolonization. And then we are looking at uh, ACPA's Framework for Racial Justice and Decolonization, a bold vision forward, a framework for the strategic imperative for racial justice and decolonization. We're going to be viewing a short film from Future States um, called The Sixth World, uh, which takes on and looks at what it looks like to colonize outer space. And then uh, we might get into a little bit a 2014 piece uh, from Lee Patel, Countering Coloniality in Educational Research from Ownership to Answerability, uh, which later was part of her fantastic book that I believe came out in 2016. Um, looking forward to this conversation with you all. Really excited uh, to talk a little bit with you all about Yip-Tuck and Wayne Yang's uh, 2012 article, Decolonization is Not a Metaphor. Uh, decolonization and Decolonizing the Academy um, is uh, the newest, I believe, buzzwords um, within uh, the Academy. And I think it is important uh, for us to visit this piece, uh, which comes uh, from the first inaugural issue uh, of this journal, or this journal um, and really speaks to the different ways in which uh, decolonization, which they assert is a distinct project from other civil and human rights-based social justice projects. As such, uh, the scholars argue that decolonization cannot just be a substitute for social justice or racial justice or LGBT justice uh, or any of the other uh, myriad of different social justice related projects that uh, individuals undertake. As such, it is a very particular and specific uh, action um, and by sort of, they, they argue by just replacing social justice with decolonization um, uh, inhibits the actual act of decolonization um, and subsumes it into another thing in which uh, they argue that decolonization in of itself would not be possible. Um, and so it talks about a, the triad locations of power, uh, this the settler native slave triad as a way to understand these locations of power within settler colonialism. Um, and uh, so it talks about these three different um, uh, aspects of power and how they all are tied into the project of colonization. Um, moreover, um, the authors talk about when metaphor invades decolonization, it kills the very possibility of decolonization. It recenters whiteness, it resettles theory, it extends innocence to the settler and entertains a settler future. Uh, rather than the futurity of the of indigeneity, uh, it poses six different uh, what they call moves to innocence: settler nativism, or uh, 
fantasizing adoption, colonial equivocation, conscientization, at-risking or asterisking indigenous peoples, and reoccupation in urban homesteading. Um, it also explores both external and internal colonialism, uh, the two operative modes of colonialism. The modes can overlap, reinforce, and contradict one another, and do so throughout particular legal, social, economic, and political processes that are context-specific. External colonialism often requires military colonialism to extract both the human and non-human resources, whereas internal colonialism often relies upon prisons, ghettos, minoritization, schooling, policing, to ensure the ascendancy of a nation and its white elite. However, uh, neither of these can adequately describe the form of colonialism in which the colonizer comes to stay. Uh, settler colonialism operates through internal-external colonial modes simultaneously because there is no spatial separation between uh, the metropole and col the colony. Uh, settler colonialism is both a is an act and not an event. That is because settlers make indigenous land their new home and source of capital, and also because the disruption of indigenous relationships to land represents a profound epistemic, ontological, and cosmological violence. As such, um, the, when it talks specifically about settler colonialism as being distinct and different, or when the colonists come to stay and do not leave, for instance, in a U.S. context, we are still living in a settled, settler colonialist space uh, that has uh, been occupied by European settlers since um, the 1400s um, when um, Christopher Columbus uh, quote-unquote discovered America right even that very the very um, language being used to recount the story of quote-unquote America's founding or the new world's founding presupposes that there was no one here uh, we know that this is not a fact yet there is still the reality that we um, um, reify the fact that um, indigenous peoples uh, were either not here or were not using the land um, in such a manner that the European settlers uh, found to be productive enough and thus uh, took over that land and still stake this land as their own. The piece talks about these five different settler moves to innocence, uh, the first being the settler nativism or the Indian grandmother complex. Uh, this the rumor to have a native ancestor, right? Um, and so this uh, is framed as an attempt to avoid facing the guilt made bare for the treatment of native individuals. This is an attempt to deflect uh, a settler identity, and that settler nativism is about imagining an Indian past and a settler future. In contrast, tribal sovereignty has provided for an indigenous present, and various indigenous intellectuals theorize decolonization as native futures without a settler state. Um, and so this is one that I think makes a lot of sense uh, as the one that they begin with because it is something that I have seen uh, again and again uh, throughout uh, my work. Uh, the second, uh, fantasizing adoption. Uh, this means the adoption of indigenous practices and knowledges, but more refer to those natives, uh, narratives rather, in the settler colonial imagination in which the native uh, hands over his land, his claims to the land, and his very Indianness to the settler for safekeeping. This is a fantasy that is invested in a settler futurity and dependent upon the foreclosure of an indigenous futurity. Um, these fantasies alleviate the anxiety of settler unbelonging. Uh, sympathy and suffering are profoundly satisfying to the settler cinema. 
Uh, I think a lot about uh, some of the conversations we've had uh, this uh, semester thus far about cinema and the ways that cinema is used uh, to allay uh, particular feelings uh, that an individual might have about resistance uh, to um, um, power and hegemony within society. Um, uh, third, uh, colonial equivocation uh, is a more nuanced move to innocence and is the homogenizing of various experiences of oppression and colonialism. Colonization. Uh, it describes, it, it is an act of describing all struggles against imperialism as decolonizing, thus creating a convenient ambiguity between decolonization and social justice work. Uh, this really is what I was talking about, that we cannot use decolonization as a stand for all social justice work. Um, the, the ideas of, quote, we are all colonized may be a true statement, but it's deceptively embraceable and vague. It's interference. None of us, it's inference, then, is thus, if we are all colonized, then none of us are settlers. Equivocation or calling everyone, everything by the same name is a move towards innocence that is especially vogue in coalition politics amongst people of color. Um, calling, uh, this is coming straight from uh, the piece. Next is the conscientization. Uh, it is more, uh, when we talk about decolonization, it is more than just decolonizing the mind. We talked about decolonizing the mind, I think, in week three or four of this. Um, and so conscientization, uh, out of Paulo Freire's work, uh, which really is about uh, de uh, decolonizing the mind in some regards, for lack of a better uh, term, uh, by contrast, decolonization specifically requires the repatriation of indigenous land and life. Decolonization is not a meta name for social justice. Um, as such, the um, this we we need to do more than just decolonize the land, according to Tuck and Yang. But we really must make moves uh, to decolonizing the land. Land um, is intrinsically important in a decolonial framework. The next move to innocence, the at-risking or the asterisking indigenous people, uh, these acts of inclusion assimilate indigenous sovereignty, ways of knowing and ways of being by remaking a collective compromised tribal identity into an individualized ethnic identity. The asterisk, they say, uh, Yang, Tuck and Yang say, the asterisk is a body count that does not account for indigenous politics, educational concerns, and epistemologies. In urban land, indeed all land is native land. As such, uh, we need to account for uh, not uh, indigeneity as ethnic identity, uh, but really not only that, but begin to understand uh, the indigenous sovereignty, ways of knowing, and ways of being uh, as being important um, to the futurity of um, indigenous people uh, specifically, but all of us. Uh, and then finally, the uh, next bit uh, is about reoccupation and homesteading. Uh, the occupation is a move towards innocence that hides behind the numerical superiority of the illusion of democracy with justice and the logic that what became property under the 1% rightly belonged to the other 99 the article goes on to talk about uh, three different ways that uh, the theory of or the idea of decolonization is incomparable with uh, other uh, social justice oriented 
theories. Uh, the, the, uns, the They call these these unsettling themes that challenge the coalescence of social justice endeavors are broadly assembled into three different areas, transnational or third world decolonization, abolition, and critical space plays pedagogies, and offers up sort of uh, a bibliography of uh, these three different arenas from which to endeavor and begin to understand how there is uh, a difference between the various uh, various social justice oriented theories and praxises, uh, as well as um, those of decolonization. Um, and so uh, drawing upon the work of uh, Memi from 91, um, decolonization or de the th uh, the work on decolonization rooted in praxis and not in metaphor is that uh, the goal is to break the triad that we opened up with of um, to break with that and to not compromise uh, to to compromise means to uh, give up the actual call the the for decolonization um, and so the the piece talks about uh, different ways that decolonization could look like um, and that uh, that there cannot be that this notion of incommensurability, which is guiding um, decolonization um, theorizing and praxis is rooted in moves that unsettle these innocence, those six moves to innocence that they started with um, and that uh, there cannot be uh, reconciliation uh, between uh, the social other moves towards social justice and decolonization. And so far as that reconciliation is quote about rescuing settler normalcy, while and about rescuing a settler future. Um, reconciliation is concerned about what questions of what decolonization will look like and what happens after abolition and what will be the consequences of decolonization for the settler, incommensurability acknowledges that these questions need not, perhaps not, be answered in order for decolonization to exist as a framework, insofar as much that decolonization is not obliged to answer these questions. It's not answerable or accountable to settlers or settler futurity. Um, it is only accountable to the indigenous sovereignty and futurity. Um, and so decolonization offers up a different perspective uh, to and a different approach to justice work, an unsettling one, uh, literally, um, right? And so thinking about unsettling as the act of undoing settler colonialism uh, in of its own, um, within its own naming, right? Like it is purposely unsettling um, and we can play with the idea of the word of unsettling and, and it is various different manifestations of what it could mean. Um, I, I, I love the, the last two sentences, really the last, I guess, three sentences are beautiful. I'll offer them up here for you. Decolonization offers a different perspective to human and civil rights based approaches to justice, an unsettling one rather than a complementary one. Decolonization is not an and. It isn't elsewhere. Uh, decolonization is not a metaphor. Uh, is a fantastic piece that has been um, really 
instrumental in opening up and understanding what decolonization uh, looks like in academia, both as an act, as a, as a research method, as a way to conceptualize justice-oriented uh, movements, um, but has, uh, I think, been co-opted, as so many things are, um, and in, in some of the very same ways uh, that uh, Patricia Hill Collins offered up uh, the ways that um, intersectionality has been co-opted. Um, and I'll be interested to hear what your thoughts and perspectives are on decolonization. The next piece we read uh, by Lawanda Ward, A Tribal Crit Sensibility Toward Critical Conscious Legal Literacy, Engaging ACPA's Framework for Racial Justice and Decolonization, is an article from the Journal of College Student Development that was released um, in December of 2020, so not very long ago, uh, that really explored what it would look like uh, to utilize decolonization uh, frameworks as a, at the intersection of the ACPA NASPA professional competencies uh, to think about what would it look like uh, to have a critical conscious legal literacy. Um, so uh, the author, Ward, uh, posits that a critical conscious legal literacy is needed to move beyond understanding laws and legal interpretations to enable student affairs professionals to develop the ability to critique and contest and offer decolonized interpretations to transform non-Native college universities into supportive educational environments for Native American students. Uh, this is all coming from page 801 of the article. To align with the strategic imperative for racial justice and decolonization, uh, they adopted its definition of critical consciousness, one in which uh, defines critical consciousness as the process of developing an awareness of one's social identities and societal conditions that create and sustain oppressive dynamics between social identity groups. And so this uh, piece goes on to talk about the inevitability of colonized logics that dominate institutional policies and practices um, in which we as student affairs educators and practitioners uh, are often obliged to uphold. And so uh, I bring to you um, that how might we utilize this piece and does this piece uh, use decolonization in a means, in a way uh, that moves beyond decolonization as a metaphor. Um, so I want you to read this piece uh, really at the intersection of the Tuck and Yang piece, uh, Decolonization uh, is Not a Metaphor, as well as reading through the ACPA's Framework for Racial Justice and Decolonization, as well as this piece, to consider what does decolonization look like within student affairs and higher education. The notion of decolonization, as outlined by Tuck and Yang, is purposefully unsettling. Um, and much like many some of the other uh, theoretical frameworks uh, that we have engaged in and, and spoken about this semester, um, call into question issues of power and dominance. Um, and, but this one in particular uh, pushes back against the co-option uh, very from its very outset to ensure that it does not become uh, metaphorical um, and that the unsettling uh, nature is embedded within uh, the very fabric of its framework. Um, 
this is particularly seen um, in the um, a Bold Vision Forward, a framework for the strategic imperative for racial justice and decolonization, outlined by some of our uh, colleagues within Student Affairs who wrote this document um, a few years back. Um, Stephen John Quay, Rachel Ejo, uh, Melissa Beer, Jacob, Andrea Dominique, Florence Guido, Alex C. Lang, um, Dean Squire, and D.L. Stewart, who uh, it wrote and updated in September of 2019. Uh, to think through what might uh, decolonization look like um, in higher education. Um, they close out uh, by talking that some student affairs educators might think that this uh, call is going too far, while others might think that it does not far enough. Um, they also admit that they don't see that this strategic imperative for racial justice and decolonization is the answer on how to make these uh, um these efforts happen, um, but they do believe uh, that this is a step towards that bold vision for the future. Uh, it's, uh, should This document, as they say, quote, should be seen as the first of many works that take up the strategic imperative. Our sincerest hope is that you go on this path with us. And so I'm excited to hear from you all in class what it looks like to engage and think about going on the path forward uh, to engage earnestly um, in the strategic imperative for racial justice and decolonization, but also specifically how does and what does social justice look like within higher education, within student affairs? Um, as the theme of this week is decolonizing the academy, how does one decolonize the academy? The academy is built on indigenous lands, stolen indigenous lands, um, and we are currently still living in a settler uh occupied uh, territory. And so what does it look like or how do we conceptualize a repatriation of land um, when land is both very important for um, indigenous people, indigenous epistemologies, the very notion of decolonization, but also land, you know, like we call our institutions such as Illinois State where we are, we are as being brick and mortar schools, right? So the very notion that we have space on land as opposed to other institutions which are um, more oriented within um, cyberspace, right? And so how do we conceptualize um, decolonization and doing more than just lip service as we are often do, ought to do with so many efforts towards social justice? Um, how do we move beyond in higher education and student affairs um, a land acknowledgement. While a land acknowledgement is is important and is important to note on whose land do we live, far too often we think about that we are on the ancestral lands of, and while but without considering why they're the ancestral lands of, right? Um, how how it, at what point does a land acknowledgement become performative, um, and how do we? Uh, get out of the performative nature uh, to actually engage in praxis to decolonize uh, not only our mind, as we've talk talked about in this class, but what would it look like to actually decolonize the academy? I'm thrilled and excited to continue this conversation with you in class.